Hi, my name is John Kim. I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth many years ago, and I've been documenting my journey ever since, sharing my life lessons and revelations. I believe in casual over clinical, with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. We want to keep this conversation up. Yeah, it's not going to be like a lecture. It's going to be more of um, conversation, lots of um, Q&A and stuff like that. So I guess we'll start with how we met. Um, some of you know the story, some of you don't, but. Yeah, there's, uh, I'm not going to say any names, but uh, Jason Berg, uh, he's a <laughs> member at this gym. He, he came in one day, I was working out, and he says, uh, hey, John, do you like white girls? And I was like, dude, it's 2018. I like, um, you know, uh, I don't just like white girls. What are you talking about? And he says, I have, um, I have a therapist I want to set you up with. And I said, listen, I don't just date therapists. Anyway, they were old friends, and uh, I'll, let you, I'll let you tell them um, the short version. I'm the sorry. short version of, of, of how we met, because it's kind of funny. So I always say I manifested John when people ask me, um, only because my best friend, Danae, who's standing in the back actually, uh, Danae had been a follower of John's <laughs> for a long time, and you know, had sent me stuff, and I don't remember what it was, but for some reason, something he had posted, I was like, oh. And I remember in that moment being like, and I wish I remember what it was, but I kind of just started doing my Instagram stalking, as you do. And I sent her the post and I was like, I find this guy to be incredibly attractive. He seems to be single, he lives in LA, and we have a mutual friend. I'm gonna date this guy. And she was like, okay. <laughs> like, I don't know, at the time he had like 50,000 followers. She's like, okay. And I was like, no, I'm serious, I'm gonna date him. Like I just had this weird knowing. I was like, I'm gonna date this guy. And so I had already had something on the books to hang out with our mutual friend. And so we're hiking and we're chatting. And my whole intention was to be like, hey, you know, hook it up. Never said a word. And all of a sudden his friend um, out of nowhere goes, I have this guy that I feel like you'd really get along with. And I was like, oh. And he's like, yeah, you know, he's on Instagram as anger therapist. And I was like, oh, I don't think I know him. And, <laughs> and totally played it cool. And uh, lo and behold, he, he played Cupid. And uh, John texted me and actually set up like, dinner plans like hi nice to meet you let's go to dinner he made reservations and coming from new york i don't know if it's the same in la because i didn't date very much in la but in new york it's like coffee drinks like you know let's do this as quickly as possible so i can like see if this is worth my time you know and he actually set up a legit dinner and i was very impressed and so here yeah we i was trying to check out her ass and she was wearing something around her butt yeah, i was wearing a long sweater and i couldn't i couldn't see her butt and i kept going like <laughs> oh shit, her sister's here um, but the conversation was good and I was just coming off the heels of being um, single on purpose and I've been in relationships for most of my life and so I had a lot of um, reservations. I didn't want to jump into anything because I thought the next thing is going to be the big one, right? So I was very in and out and ambivalent. Um, I wasn't done. I felt like I wasn't done being single and I wanted to do all the things that uh, you know, um, I missed out on on my 20s. I wanted to wake up with someone that I didn't like. I wanted to, to do drugs and, and have crazy sex and do all these things. Um, and I didn't get far. And uh, so that was a lot of our beginning where um, I was confusing to her. And um, I love you, get away, and all that. And so that's just, it's, that's how it started. And uh, yeah, it wasn't. Um, wasn't picture perfect. Yeah, it was rocky. It was rocky and there was a lot of back and forth. And so I think that's a really good segue maybe into the conversation around the one. Yes. I feel like that was part of your ambivalence, right? 
Yeah, you know, we grow up with um, this idea of the one, um, partly because of um, Disney movies and uh, um, programming. And it puts a lot of pressure on, on ourselves to find like the perfect person. And I'm also guilty of falling into that. And so when I met Vanessa, you know, I pulled out my checklist and I'm like, you know, does our humor match, does this? And I put her under a uh, microscope. And because we were different and some things didn't line up, um, I didn't think she was quote unquote the one. And uh, four years later, I have changed my definition of the one. I don't believe in the one anymore. I think it's damaging. Um, I think the one is the one that's in front of you, you know, and, and that's it. And if that doesn't work out, then the one is the one that's in front of you next, you know, and it keeps you present and focused and not, uh, it, it makes you kind of um, put the checklist away. You know. Yeah, you have this quote that you, you wrote this part in the book, and I'm probably going to butcher it exactly, but it, it's basically like the one is it's who you choose to love in right. the moment, right? It's who you choose to love every day. Um, and once you stop choosing to love somebody, then they're no longer the one, right? I think to your point, we have this idea. And, and look, this isn't to take away. We all want the fairy tale and the butterflies, and we'll, we'll talk about chemistry a little bit too because um, we have a little bit of a theory on that too. But... Um, I don't I can speak for myself when I can say I had that one I had that like oh my god the literally the world shifted underneath my feet um, you know and it was like I it was physically painful for me to not be in the same room with this person like it was that kind of love and you know that it didn't it wasn't a long-lasting love it was it was a flash in the pan and it was intense and it was long I mean we had a long relationship but um, it wasn't a daily choice and it wasn't a choice, a committed choice that we both made every day where we showed up over and over and over again. And so I think that's really changed our definition. Yeah, yeah you know, what's interesting is just hearing her say that, that there was a guy before me that she couldn't, you know, breathe without makes me feel, um, it makes me feel that that, what she had with that person is more and better than what she had with me, yeah, which is residue of this belief of yeah. the one. And so as she's saying that, I'm feeling, oh, is she even attracted to me? Maybe she should be with that guy, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's coming from the the this damaging thing of, um, of the one, yeah. right? Yeah, and I think it damages our relationships for sure. So the lightning in the bottle, um, what do you guys think of this idea of attraction we wanted to reframe what attraction looks like. Um, a lot of people believe that uh, you lock eyes across the room and um, you know when you know, you know you hear that a lot. Um, and I don't wanna take away from anyone's truth, but um, I have learned that this is just my opinion that um, lightning, the lightning may actually be dysfunction. And so what you're attracted to, the animalistic attraction um, I worked in addiction for many years, and there's this, um, it's, like, uh, it's like the Tommy Lee, Pamela Anderson thing that they have, that is uh, uh, you take someone who is an um, addict or a predator. I don't mean predator like Dateline, but there's addiction, <laughs> there's addiction in your blood. Like my dad was an alcoholic, right? So I have that, and a lot of people mistake that for the bad boy, impulsive, reckless, unpredictable, which equals exciting. And then you take someone who may fall under the category of prey, which is someone was taken from her, um, maybe her voice, 
maybe her virginity or something was taken from her at an early age. Maybe she's the caretaker. Maybe she's a care. Maybe she grew up too fast. Maybe she wants um, to take care of somebody, fix somebody, save somebody. Yeah, or maybe dad had an iron fist, or you know whatever it is. And you put two, those two people in the room as adults, and they just find each other. And I think that, and that's why there's Alon meetings and, and all that. But I think that can be mistaken for um, the lightning, and then we're like oh, I can't be without this person. And we, we um, put that on a pedestal with, um, you know, the fairy tale of happily ever after and love, and this is the one, and we don't realize that it's, uh, it's dysfunction. Well, and also, you know, to take it even out of like the, the kind of Al-Anon AA world, I mean, you know, there's this thing called repetition compulsion, right? It's a Freudian term, and really it's this idea that unconsciously, we will continue to repeat the same patterns over and over and over again until it clicks, right? Which usually doesn't click, but our ego thinks it will eventually, right? If we just keep doing it over and over again. And so it's an attempt for us to master something. It's an attempt for us to get it right this time. It's an attempt to understand it. And so this is why you'll, you know, especially as therapists, we get this all the time. I just keep dating the same person. I keep finding myself in the same situation over and over again, right? And so even that type of attraction where it's like, oh, I'm, there's something about this person Again, we're not saying all the time. Obviously, there's always that time when that's not the case. But a lot of times, many times we see it, it's this very kind of, it smells like home, you know? Um, there's a lot of familiarity of what love felt like, looked like, smelled like when you were growing up. And then, and now we're kind of playing out those same, you know, historical patterns. Who wants to share, who can relate to this? Who wants to share a quick story about, about that, lighting in the bottle? Yeah. This is the one that really resonated with me because that was a pattern that I repeated slightly different so I kept saying I don't have a pattern yeah <laughs> and in my last relationship it was the first time I realized oh no you do and very much like you said Vanessa I was the oldest child mm -hmm. I took care of my under my younger sister I was like a 40 year old when I was seven years old same girl same and so I ended up finding myself with taking care of people mm -hmm. and my last relationship was with the nicest guy but an alcoholic mm -hmm. and just like you said, it's like all these things resonate. You know, you keep thinking you can fix it. So we would break up. He'd come back. No, no, I'm going to do this. Okay, this time it's going to work. This time yep. it's going to work. And it was that lightning in a bottle when we met. It was like, if there's this much chemistry, I can't be away from them. It's got to be the right one. Yeah. So I, I appreciate, like, you guys brought everything together. And I just want you to know that after reading, I got the, it's not me, it's you. I did end the relationship, mm. and it's like completely end of story. All those pieces came together for me, so oh. I'm so grateful to the two of you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hey, we have seats up here. If you want to, um, Millie. Nobody wants to sit in the front. There's two, the, and also, uh, we can grab some. It's super <laughs> well, it's intimate. Like college. Everybody's like, I'm going to sit in the back. We, we don't want you to be standing. Um, <laughs> be brave. And there's, ben there's benches as well. <laughs> so, yeah, please. Just to share, like my, my, it was my teenage daughter who kind of brought it out and told me, um, you're in this relationship because it's comfortable. Oof. Yeah. That's hard to hear from your kid. <laughs> I was like, oh, damn. And yeah. I was like, that's not true. Wait, how old is your kid? She, at the time, she was 16. She's wow. That's hard to hear. Yeah. 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 So, and, and I really had to like, be more self-aware. Like, well, is that the case? Am I mm. comfortable? And, and then I, I admit it. I'm like, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It is comfortable. It is comfortable for me. And she's like, but that doesn't mean it's right. Yes. <laughs> So I'm going to piggyback on what you're saying, and I'm going to, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but I, I talk a little bit about this idea of being chosen in the book. And 
so my last relationship before John, well, my last long relationship before John, um, I knew that he would never leave. I knew without a shadow of a doubt he would never leave. Physically, he would never leave. Um, emotionally and mentally, that's a different story. Also an alcoholic, you know, we struggled with our, our, a lot of stuff. Um, but there was this, this pull that I had, this comfort that I had in knowing that he would never go anywhere, right? And I realized that that was also a pattern of mine, was finding these people who, whether they were projects, whether they needed me, but if they needed me, then I knew that they wouldn't leave, right? Um, and so I talk about how being chosen was really my, that's what lightning in a bottle meant to me. It was this instant feeling of this person, I mean, all of my relationships, it was like this immediate kind of like, two weeks in, I'm in love with you, you're amazing, you know? Mm -hmm. And my ego would be like, I know, it's great, you know? I'm so <laughs> wonderful. But, but then realizing, right, what that really was. It was this um, very codependent, kind of um, enmeshed, very dysfunctional kind of dynamic. And um, I'm gonna read that little part. But yeah, um, and so I'm very, I'll, I'll leave after the seminar. No, I'm just kidding. Um, because of my ambivalence and because she didn't feel for me that I chose her, mm -hmm. uh, the magnet flipped. And yep. so the first year of our relationship, it was very rocky. Um, so with her, I didn't feel the lightning. And as I say that, I feel guilty because I don't want her to think that it's not that I'm not attracted to her. Um, of course, she's beautiful and I was very attracted to her, but I didn't feel the, the thing Pull. that I did when I was in my 20s and uh, the thing that you know, knocked my knee-high socks off and made me lose myself. And I think because we're both at a place where we, we uh, swam past that. And so what we're left with is not dysfunction, but um, neutral soil. What we're left with is something healthy and healthy um, sometimes is boring. Yeah, you know? it can be for sure. Sometimes and that's what's hard. Yeah, and, and, and I think uh, for many people, and we'll kind of get into it later. Yeah, uh, you can read that. Yeah. But um, the work is actually leaning into what might feel boring. Yeah. Agreed. So I'm going to read this little part. I read it in our book club. So if you, you've, you've heard it before, if you're in our book clubs on Mondays, but um, okay. So I say, <clears throat> even though we finished off the Costa Rica trip at a small romantic hotel with some good food and hot sex, I wasn't fully present. I had so much brewing inside me that would carry over into the next few weeks of our relationship. When we got back to Los Angeles, I made a decision. I was going to break relationship patterns that no longer served me. I was no longer going to base my self-worth on whether or not the other person in the relationship, romantic or otherwise, was choosing me. I had spent my life contorting who I really was in order to be chosen, telling myself, don't rock the boat, say the right thing, don't say the wrong thing, be the cool girl who's not too needy, don't have any needs, period. Be sexual, make them want you, but not so sexual that they only want that. Be funny, but don't talk too much, don't be too much, always be on. Like what they like, give, 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 but don't take. I was exhausted. I decided during that trip that it didn't matter who chose me if I didn't choose me. I wanted to be able to be myself, fully authentic in this relationship and in any relationships moving forward, but that was entirely on me. Maybe my knowing with John wasn't about him being my person. Maybe it was about the importance of him coming into my life so I could finally face myself and decide I was worth choosing. So when we got back from our Costa Rica trip, which we talk about in here, um, I was done. It was a, we were four months in, and it was I think we were two or three of these cycles in of him pushing, pulling, pushing, pulling, and I just said, 
I need a week. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to see you. I need, I need some time. And I had really decided, I mean, when we came back together, I basically, to use what my mom would say, I basically told him, shit or get off the pot, right? Like, I was like, you're either in this or you're not, but I don't feel safe in this dance that we're doing, right? I can't emotionally open up. I can't be vulnerable. I can't, any of this, when I constantly am like, are you in it? Are you not in it? Do you like me? Do you, you know, where are you at? Um, and so that, for me, was a real aha moment, because I don't think I would have done that two relationships ago, three relationships, you know, in my 20s, whatever you want to say. Um, but it really was a, a real revelation for me that there was an opportunity in this to say, I choose me. Like, I know I'm fucking awesome. And it's not that I want you to have that again, that like, oh my God, I love you. You're so amazing, which I was getting before. I wanted it to be genuine. And so I needed to choose me to, to get that. That's kind of what I, I realized. And her friends um, who were saying, oh, yeah, you, get, you manifested this guy is now saying, fuck this guy. First <laughs> <laughs> let, let him go. He's, um, he's a hypocrite. He's trash. Um, and he's a little short. No. Um, so I was going to say something. Wait, what? what, what? Yeah, I lost it because I was trying to be funny. <laughs> uh, what, were, what were you saying? We're talking about being chosen. Being chosen. So I think the universe um, uh, put puts tests in front of us, and so the test that the universe put in front of Vanessa through me yeah. was, um, okay, here's a guy. He's not going to choose you. You're used to being chosen. He and uh, chosen. He's not going to choose you. So you could either um, choose yourself or you or or, or not. And so she chose herself, and I think that was a huge chapter. Um, it was a kind of an act break in your story, no? Yeah, it was. It yeah. was. And I, I do believe there was something in that that woke you up. Like me choosing me, me yeah. not chasing you, and me basically just saying, you, I'm good either way. Like, you make this choice. I think well, it told yeah. It basically said, okay, she's not going to be there forever. So you got to decide: are you all in or not? You know. And, and that so. was an interesting dynamic that we had too, because we're talking about my history of of needing to be needed and being the caretaker. And in a lot of ways, when John and I first met, we had talked about his previous relationships being women who actually needed him, like needed to be needing to be saved in a lot of ways. And so there was a rub on that too, because I remember very early in the relationship, me saying to you, like, I don't, I don't need you to save me. Like, I've done a lot of work and I'm in a really good place and um, I don't need that role from you. So I do think there was a little bit of, who are we in this relationship? I think it was going on for both of us. And I do think that I've talked to a lot of clients who have come to that, um, let's place a, we'll say the place of boredom, like we were talking about. And so many times the question that we're able to get to underneath it is, but I don't know who I am in this relationship. Like it feels different, which doesn't feel comfortable to me, right? It doesn't feel activating. It doesn't feel exciting. It doesn't feel, but a lot of times there's this like, I don't know what my role is because I know who I am. I know what my role is. If I'm the caretaker, I know that. But when you meet that person that challenges that role, a lot of times your ego is going to be like, oh, this clearly isn't it. This isn't the right one, right? And so I would say, if you ever come to that place or if you are in that place, whether you're in a relationship or not, where you're like, I don't know who I am in this relationship, what's my role, question where that's coming from. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is uh, if the relationship forces you to not wear hats and yes. uh, you don't have a role, then it also forces you to show yourself. And that could be scary, right? So if you took on a role in other relationships, like you were the caretaker 
or you were the person that um, your partner put on a pedestal, whatever the role is, yeah. if that's now gone, who are you? And that is going to force you to really show yourself. Mm -hmm. And so, again, that that's work, you yeah. know, and that's hard. And, and that's why I think healthy relationships are really hard to, hard to build. All right. Can anyone relate? Wait, can anyone relate to um, what we're talking about? I also want to put a little thing out there to, to get some thinking going too. So, I want to ask some questions around this. Well, uh, well, real quick. Um, what does it look like for you to choose yourself? I think. Well, that's yeah. Okay. That's the question. <laughs> You've memorized it. Where in your life, or where in your life have you? Are you acting, performing, or phoning it in, in order to be chosen? What does that look like in your behavior? Are you open and honest with yourself and others regardless of the possibility that they may not like it or they could walk away? And then we go, we go deeper into like, what does that feel like in your body? You know, a little bit more like actual practices. But I think those are some really good questions to ask yourself, right? Like where in your life, because I would say everybody has had an experience of doing something that didn't feel authentic or saying something or not saying something, right, in order to be quote unquote chosen. Um, and what does that look like, you know, for you? What does, let me ask you, what does chosen, being chosen look like for you? Because it doesn't stop once you start loving someone, right? So what, what does that look like for you today with me? Um, I still struggle with not speaking up, communicating needs, not rocking the boat. Right. Um, I still struggle with that, that talk track of like, it's not worth it. That's a big one for me. Um, it's not worth it. It's not a big deal. So I would say that is one of them that still looks like I, I'm not going to speak up because if I don't speak up, you're still going to choose me. Right. But if I speak up and we fight about this or we, you know, who knows where that could go. Um, so there's still a little bit of that manipulation, that control of relationship that I'm doing by not being honest, by not being authentic and showing up. Yeah. Um, I think for me, when I think about um, being chosen, I don't know if this is healthy or not, but I, I translate it into um, feeling desired and it starts to bleed into um, sex and bedroom stuff. And so just being aware that that's my pattern, I think is what's important. Um, like if there's not enough, you mean? Yeah, or like if I'm used to uh, relationships where um, they thought I hung the moon or, you know, my love language because I'm a writer, words, love notes, come home, you know, and they jump on me like that. So Vanessa's not that, right? And so, um, I, which, 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 <laughs> He's like she well, no, yeah, that. she's not. Um, <laughs> not letting that be my definition of being chosen. Because mm -hmm. when I come home, she's definitely not going to run and jump on me, right? Um, and this maybe leads to um, beauty in the contrast. Yeah. So you let's know? hear chosen. Anybody yeah. have any thoughts on this idea of being chosen? Or what your definition is? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I grew up in a very Protestant Christian household mm. and into adulthood, you know, kind of putting that aside. You know, I was brought up in time to serve others. Mm. You know, my life is a viewpoint, my life is a view sacrifice. And so that bled over to my relationship. Yeah. You know, the last girl I, I said, I love you, was like two years ago, and she was an alcoholic. You know, she mm -hmm. was struggling with that. Uh, and not to, you know, make lighter or, you know, change anybody's truth or anything like that. But the reason I said I love you is because I was feeling that I was serving her. Yes. And so only finding that. I, you know, went on that date a few weeks ago, and I remember texting a friend that there's nothing more that I like than going home after the date 
me coming onto my dock because I feel chosen. Oh. I said, I that relationship. Yeah. And so I said, I haven't really met anybody where I feel as chosen as I do every time I come to a dog. <laughs> Unconditional. And so, you know, I, I think I'm still discovering it day to day, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. But it was interesting talking to my therapist about a week ago about this and just a job decision that I made. And I felt guilty about that, about yes. saying no to somebody. Yes. Uh, but realizing that I've been an obligement, you yes. know, uh, because I'm getting, because of my upbringing, I feel this satisfaction, I feel this worth in serving others. Yep. And then not feeling guilty about choosing myself. Choosing yourself. And so, you know, not really necessarily answer your question, but just more of my personal. Yeah. 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 It's just something I'm constantly discovering of even something simple of choosing myself and uh, not feeling guilty about it. You're putting words, though, to something that has become a bit of a, I don't know, it's like a mission, I I suppose, of mine to talk about this idea that culturally, right? So we come from a puritanical culture. Like, let's just talk about the Western culture that we all live in. Um, that is what we're taught love should look like, right? We are taught that love should look, feel, smell, sound like codependency. And if it doesn't, it's not love, right? And so I talk a lot about how let's get out of this idea of like, oh, I'm a codependent only because I'm in a relationship with an alcoholic. It's no, we're all codependent. It's just how does it manifest for you as behaviors and relationships, okay? And so I'm glad that you said that because I think we need to normalize that conversation more, you know, whether it's because you come from a more, you know, religious background or not. So many of us are taught that if I choose myself, I am, I am selfish, right? And, and that goes to our children, right? I mean, this isn't just in our romantic relationships. It's in our friendships, it's in work, like you said, even saying no to a job. And so what do we have? We have a, a society of people who are running around doing things and carrying resentment, right? carrying this idea of like they don't know who they are right because their whole purpose has been to serve others so it, i could talk for hours on this so thank you for bringing it up but i just i'm glad that you you said it so we can yeah. normalize it danae what's your definition of being chosen <laughs> can you stand up please can we get her a microphone there's only like 30 people in here being chosen um you know i think I have to think about love to me now feels more in alignment with how do I serve versus, um, you know, like this idea of transactional love that I think so many of us are raised with. And, you know, I love what you said because I feel like it can really challenge that thing that I've been carrying for a while. But I think also, like, if I fill my cup first, Mm -hmm. then I have a cup that is full and overflowing. So I actually have something to give to you. So that becomes that I think most of us are conditioned not to think about, not to do first. Um, and so chosen is just like really attempting to see me and allowing me to see them. I think that like two-way street of like actually seeing the person that Vanessa was talking about is really like the critical point for me today. It's like, can you actually see me? Um, be mm. curious about me. And that's like the conscious choice daily to try to like show up and see this And not the idea of you? Yeah. Yeah. Not the projection of you, like who I think you should be or who I who I imagine you could be, right? But I have to see me first, right? Like yeah. I have to fill that cup of like really allowing myself to be worthy. Like I think that that's what you were speaking to and that choosing yourself first makes it that I'm able to allow someone else to see me. Yeah. So uh, finding beauty in the contrast. Um, so Vanessa and I were very different 
And um, the more differences I saw, the more I started to drift, right? And then since she's an avoidant, I'm, I'm an anxious uh, with our attachment styles. Which we'll talk about. Yeah, me drifting caused her to run the other way, right? And so it wasn't until I started to um, not only accept and embrace, but start to see beauty in. So I think that's the tipping point, right? Okay, we're different. And a lot of times when people are different, you just kind of realize, oh, they're not for me and you go the other way. This time I'm gonna stay. This time I'm gonna be curious about our differences. Mm -hmm. And then this time I'm gonna see if I can find beauty in our differences instead of um, them being, you know, hash marks of why we shouldn't be together. And it, and it wasn't until I had that conversation with myself and then with Vanessa that I started to appreciate um, her differences. And uh, that's, I think, when things started to get better or good. And that took like, you know, a, a, a solid year or so. Yeah. 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 And I think this idea of finding beauty in the contrast, I like to talk about how for me it's a daily practice. Like, I think for yeah. John, it was something that he had to do in the beginning. And I think for me, it's something that, and I mean, I could probably pinpoint this, attach this to a lot of things. It might be attachment style, it might be defense mechanism, whatever it is. But um, usually for me, when there's a difference that feels glaring, even now, that's when I get this whole avoided like, well, clearly this isn't worth it. This isn't working. Time to leave. Like, fuck this guy. Fuck this relationship. Like, my, you know, even now, I mean, that's the talk track that starts to happen. And so, you know, and it could be us having a, an argument and that's what's going on in my mind. Um, even though I'm fully committed and I'm in this relationship, and, but that is the, that's that, that voice in your head that, that's there to protect you, right? And so for me, the seeing beauty and the differences, what that looks like is reminding myself that whether I want to believe it or not, I, I chose him for a reason. There was an unconscious, most likely unconscious reason that I chose him and there was a lot of work to be done and a lot of growth to be had. And so when I get irritated, you know, that he's the kind of guy that, well, he always says like, I drive, um, build a bus while driving it, right? Which like literally makes me sweat just thinking about. Um, as I like write lists upon lists and I need things to be organized, um, you know, I have to step back and, and when I feel that irritation, in that difference, I have to go, there's so much opportunity in, in this to learn and to grow and to see the beauty in that. Because if everybody was a control freak like me, nothing, no bus would ever get built. <laughs> you know what I mean? None of us would have a bus. So we'd all be sitting around in piles of directions. You know what I mean? Um, and so I think for him, it was almost like, we talk about the breakers. For him, it was a breaker to get past. And for me, with my more avoidant stuff, it's like a daily practice in this finding, the finding beauty. Thoughts on the finding beauty in the contrast, whether you're in a relationship now or you can think about um, when you were or your last relationship. Or even friendships. Yeah. I find this stuff comes up in Yeah, it's any too. relationship, actually. Yeah. I'm relating to that a lot right now. I'm uh, in a Yeah. Doing that. And he's just like, can we just 
Yeah, and it's that again. It's that daily practice, right? It's the it's the noticing the activation. You know, for me, it's the noticing of the irritation or the annoyance or the the feeling of like, well, my way's better. Like, why can't they just do it this way? You know, because clearly I know better. And uh, and and leaning into that and questioning that, like, is that really true, right? Or is that me kind of trying to close myself off from this person? Or what is that? You know. You got it. Because this is the reason, so I might as well cut and bail, right? There's a chair here if you want to sit. We've been waiting for you. So. <laughs> we kept it now up. Now we just... can start. <laughs> you know what motivated me was um, I try to bring things back to self as much as I can, and I thought to myself, because uh, if, if, I, if I try to find beauty in the contrast, um, it almost feels like a gift, like I'm doing it for her, mm. giving her points. Um, and I brought it back to me, and I thought, uh, how would that stretch me? Right. If I actually, in an honest way, was able to see things that um, was different than my past or was different than um, what I'm used to seeing, if I'm able to see things through a new lens, how would that shape me? How would that make me um, evolve or grow? And that was really interesting to me. And so that, to me, um, was motivation mm -hmm. to, to do it because I knew that if I can do it, um, and you know, like she says, it's daily, right? Some days I struggle with it, some days I don't, but um, it's gonna make me a better person. And so um, that, was, that was kind of what, what motivated me to, to practice that. Yeah, that feels a lot it. like the choosing, right? It's like the filling up of the cup, yeah. right? Can I bring it back to myself? And if I bring it back to myself, then I'm able to, to bring it, to give it outward. Right. More. So um, attachment styles, she's, uh, she's okay. avoidant, I'm anxious, uh, love languages, uh, I'm words of affirmation and um, and touch. She's acts of service, <laughs> I right? I struggling for a second. I was like, <laughs> um, she's vegetarian. I'm, I eat meat. Um, she's so, yoga. I'm more CrossFit. What else? You build the bus while driving it. Yeah, you're I, very organized. I, I was a producer for 10 Perfectionist. years in advertising. So like right. when I say I like lists and organizing, I right. made a career on it. <laughs> So now, um, if she finds something funny that I don't, instead of dismissing that or thinking that we're not meant to be or that we're different, I try to get, I try to be happy that she finds something funny and find the amusement in her finding something funny instead of me um, trying to trace that or compare it to what I find funny. Does right, that make like, sense? Like feeling like I need to also find this funny rather than that. It's like appreciate Just be happy for that her. I'm happy. Yeah. yeah. Like and so that. that's been yeah. really, really helpful. Like um, speaking of attachment styles, um, can we share this one story just because I think it's so good with the earring? The earrings. Yeah. And like then after that, maybe we'll go to story. a song. Um, so I, I've told this story a couple times and when, I, when we were writing the book, um, I, I was, there were a few people that were like, you need to put this in the book because it's a really good story. So, um, Wait, let, let's first say what love languages are for people that, that don't know. Yeah. Um, so a lot of you know this, right? Love language is kind of like pop psychology at this point. Gary Chapman wrote this book forever ago. You know, he was a Christian counselor, marriage counselor. Um, and he just found, obviously, like we usually do, patterns of people coming in and talking about the same issues over and over again. 
So um, love languages is not something that's actually like, um, you know, backed by research. It's really just his own. But the thing is, exploded for a reason, because obviously we can relate to it. Yeah, it's how you give and receive love. Right. right? And the, the way that I like to look at it, too, is also I like to talk about it with my clients as like it's the cliff notes of needs, of expressing needs. Because again, so many of us are not taught how to express our needs because we're raised in this very codependent society, right? And so for me, especially when I first read love languages and I, I started understanding what they were, I was so struck by how quote unquote simple it was to just say like, I need this from you in order to feel loved. And it was like a very aha moment, right? So while they're very simple, I still to this day tell clients like if they haven't, there's a quiz online. The book is like super easy to read, like get familiar with it. Because even if you think the idea of love languages is cheesy, it is like the cliff notes for needs, right? And then it can go deeper from there, but it's almost like a jumping off point. So for those of you who don't know, I'll just do a super quick um, thing real quick. Let me tell you. So 116, um, we like simplified them in the book. So words of affirmation, right? So that's specific words of encouragement, empathy, love, and acknowledgement. Quality time, we know what that means. Present and connected time spent together, right? That's important. Physical touch, obviously hugs, you know, small the back, sitting on lap, any kind of intimate touch. Acts of service, doing something for the other, whether or not they've asked for it. Um, and it could be a gesture or it could be something that you notice as part of their daily routine, right? Like taking over, making dinner one night, for example. And then receiving gifts, right? So gift giving, small, large, whatever. Um, but it makes that person believe that they are cherished and known. Now, the interesting thing about these um, is that you can have a primary and a secondary. A lot of us do have two that kind of rival each other. And the way that you give is not always the same as the way that you receive, right? Um, and so that's why I think it's really important to, to, to really roll around in this and understand it, because I think it could be a very helpful jumping off point for needs conversations. So Vanessa's um, love language, one of the big ones is acts of service, right? It's not mine. And one day uh, she was getting ready and she lost her earring yeah. in the sink. So I was back to back with clients and I had no time in between. And I was getting ready and I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off and I dropped my earring down the sink. And I remember in that moment being the, the swearer that I am, basically stopping up and down, being like, ah, 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 coming up and being like, oh my God, is everything okay? And me being like, it's fine. I fucking have it. I'm freaking out, right? pissed off five minutes ago so I just put a towel over the sink and I said just leave it when I've got time I'll take the sink apart because it was like you know down in there I'll figure it out and so I rushed off and I, I got in my sessions so at some point between I don't know I think I had three sessions back to back I came back down to the bathroom and the earring was sitting on the counter and not only had John gotten the earring out but in order to do that he actually had to go to the hardware store get the specific kind of wrench that was required to take the, the S curve. Not only did he do that, he actually cleaned it all up and put it all back together. <laughs> and then it was sitting there and, and it was, it was, I mean, I, I was floored. It was the dumbest thing. And yet it was like, I felt so loved in that moment um, because there had been so much planning that had gone into it. Um, I didn't have to tell him what to do. I didn't have to say, this is the kind of wrench you need. I mean, I didn't have to do any of this. And then he cleaned it up too. Uh, I know. And, and for people who are not acts of service, this is like the silliest story. But if you were an acts of service person, this is like the most like, 
He always says, I could write your name in the sky, and the first thing you would say is, how much did that cost? <laughs> and yet, you get that urine out of the sink in the way that he did, and I was like, oh my god. Like, let's have sex right now. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, which, which by the way, which, by the way uh, she didn't say, I did so not. I didn't get anything. Um, I wasn't doing it for points. I was doing it because I just thought, okay, it's like doing the dishes. She lost her earring. Let me see what I could do. Uh, and then, you know, I kind of challenged myself as because I'm really bad with tools. I don't know how to build anything like that. And so um, for the first time in my life, like I just put on my little Mr. Miyagi hat and went and started playing with the plumbing. And I happened to find it. It was no big deal. I didn't think it meant anything. I just put it on the thing and went about my day. Um, the thing is, she didn't tell me what it meant to her. So I'm I heard this later from like... I'm, I'm not a words of affirmation person. But see, but this is the thing. <laughs> so this is where the rub comes into play, right? Here I am floating on cloud nine because he had done this access service thing. He has no idea that he just did this thing. So I got no credit. And I don't tell him Zero that. Zero credit that I did this. I don't even know that, that she, li she liked it. It was just I like, oh, cool. I told my friends that he did this thing for right. me. But I never actually told him until a while later. And that was really, it was a moment for us where we realized, oh, this is how love languages can actually really be a rub for people, right? Because he had no idea, right? And it was so, it's so hard for me. It's such a, a, a vulnerable thing for me to look somebody in the face and say, I appreciate you. That made me feel so amazing. Thank you. Like, I have a really hard time with words. So that comes really easy for me. And like, I do really it too much. I could look her in the eye and say, you know, you're sexy, you're amazing, yeah. and you know, whatever. I feel like I, you know, whatever, a kid that lost something and found it and what are you on and on. Um, but that, that's not how she's wired, you know. Yeah. And so what I needed was her to tell me that that mattered and that that is how she um, receives love. And then I could say, oh, that's how she is. Now I'll make an effort to do more of that. But because she didn't say that, I probably wouldn't do it again. Yeah. It was a missed opportunity. Sure. Sure. But um, we share that story because it's just a great example how um, something in the mundane, the day to day, like a lost earring and someone finding it, um, it, it matters. It's a big deal when it comes to love and relationships. And I have to say this, and I say this to all of my clients, I'm very candid about how hard words of affirmation are for me. And I'm also very aware that it is how he feels loved. I'm not kidding. I can show you my phone. I actually have a reminder set in my phone every five oh. days that goes off that says, that just says John words. Now that, that might That's sound amazing. not romantic, <laughs> fine. It can sound however it wants to sound, but it is not something that comes naturally to me and it is important that he hear it. And so whatever I need to do in my relationship to make sure that he feels loved, even if it's some stupid thing on my phone, I'm gonna do it. So it's, this is what we're talking about, like relationships being work. It feels really fucking stupid, y'all, to admit to you that I have something in my phone that says John words that goes off every three days. But like, this is the work that it takes, you know? And I feel stupid every time I do it, and I still do it because it's important, you know? Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. That's really sweet. My, my reminder says, no, I mean it. I, mean, I, I never tell him these things. Yeah, I don't, again, I don't know. Uh, my reminder says, John, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. It's Friday night. I know you're lonely. Take care of yourself. In some of your primary relationships, I'm sure you're very aware of like which way you tend to lean when you're activated, right? So really, what does it mean? It just means when your attachment wounding is activated, how, how do you respond, right? Do you respond in the more anxious way or the more avoidant way? And then obviously the spectrum in between. That's like my, my 20 second version of like years and years of research, right? To tell you what attachment styles are. So John, at least in our relationship, John tends to show up more uh, anxious. anxious, right? 
and I tend to show up more avoided. And again, like we were talking about with the, the differences and beauty and the contrast, there's a reason why that term uh, opposites attract exists, right? The things that we love also activate the shit out of our, us, right? And it's the reason why we always find ourselves in these relationships, people that are very different than us, um, because they do activate us. And I mean, I believe it's as an opportunity to grow, right? Um, and so I can't even count the number of clients that I've worked with where it's the dynamic of the anxious and the avoidant together, right? It's so common. Very rarely you're going to have an avoidant and avoidant because then you just wouldn't have a relationship, right? <laughs> that would be very simple. Sometimes you'll have an anxious and an anxious, right? But a lot of times you get this very anxious avoidant dance. Um, the push-pull, the distancer-pursuer, depends on how you kind of yeah. hear it talked about, right? And there's more attachment styles, but we're just giving you the broad strokes of, yeah. of, of these two. And everyone's kind of swimming towards secure attachment. Uh-huh. Right. Questions about attachment styles or we can also get it. Well, we'll get into shares. how it shows up for us. But. Yeah, yeah. Um, shares, go ahead. No, there's more. So it's a spectrum. Yeah. Um, if you go into the research, I mean, I think now there's they're showing like nine or 14. Do you remember the last? I don't even remember the last count. I mean, they just keep, you know, there's like insecure, avoidant. There's and, and it's like variations of how those show up. I'm not an attachment like guru by any means, um, but there's a lot of research out there. That one book that everybody loves, Attached, it's like the kind of 101. It is just that. It's a 101. It's a really helpful understanding, but it is very binary avoidant, anxious. There's other research out there that goes into it more in depth. It's fascinating, right? Here's the thing about attachment, um, and Danae and I talk about this a lot, but Gabor Mate talks about how, as babies, right, first of all, we all know that we need to attach to survive, okay? So it's not to blame the parent necessarily for the way that we develop our attachment style, but we as beings are put here, we know very early on, I have to attach to my caregiver in order to survive, right? Gabor Mate talks about how every person there's this, there's this um, we're torn between attachment and autonomy, right, or authenticity. But the thing is, is that because attachment is primal to survival, we're going atta to choose attachment every time. So if it comes down to my attachment wound being activated, I might be left. I might be abandoned. I might be rejected. If that feeling is going on, obviously, under the surface for most of us, right, I'm going to choose attachment over authenticity because that means survival, right? Now it doesn't at this age anymore, but it does really at a primal level mean survival. And so I always talk about that just to really normalize, like there's nothing wrong with you because you respond in these ways. I mean, we're talking very primal responses to being triggered to feel like you're gonna be abandoned, right? Um, but obviously they can show up in very unhealthy ways and dynamics, right? Especially when we get into relationships with people who have that opposite way of responding. Um, I shared a little bit about how in my head, I start to do this thing where I get that very like, fuck him, fuck this, this isn't going to work, I'm over this, right? That is my, usually my avoidant coming up, right? Anytime there's conflict, anytime there's conflict, that's the voice that turns on for me. Always has been, way before John, this predates John, right? But I'm in a very different situation now. I'm aware of it. I know that that voice is there. I know that voice is not really my voice, but it's one voice that I have that's there to protect me. I have created and crafted a toolkit very specifically um, to me and what my needs are in those moments of activation to help me kind of balance myself out. 
I talk to clients about how it's really important that we all figure out what those very specific tools are for each of us. So I share this because I, I have found it to be helpful. So my tools tend to be, John and I are in conflict. John comes to me with something that he wants to talk about. My immediate response is, I am bad, versus like, oh, we got to talk about this thing. Hey, you did this thing that hurt my feelings. I go to a place of, I am bad, I am bad, I am bad. I want to bail out of that feeling of shame, cut and run, fuck this. Obviously, this isn't the right person, right? It's a very typical cycle. So what do I do? I tend to get into that voice. I tend to almost like dissociate. Like, I'm not here anymore. I'm like out of my body. I'm up here. So I have learned that I need to stay in my body. So what do I do? I will find myself like pinching my legs, digging my fingers into whatever I'm sitting on so that I am fully aware that I'm in my body. And then I will actually repeat a mantra, which I've stolen from John, actually, which is try to understand before being understood. Try to understand before being understood. Try, and I'm literally repeating this mantra as I'm looking at him and having a conversation with him. This is not going to work for everybody. But if you're somebody like me who's more avoidant and you tend to leave your body, those kind of tools can be really helpful. And I, I give this kind of you know, inner looking into myself to say, figure out what those are for you and then practice them. If one doesn't work, fine, toss it out, try a new one, right? Until you know what those tools are for you so that when your attachment style is activated, you can attempt to bring yourself down to a base level so that your rational mind comes back online and you're not just functioning from that like reptilian brain that's like cut and run, you know? Or anxious. It's attack. interesting when I, um, so if I sit her down and say, hey, we need to have a conversation, uh, she, she like morphs into this 16-year-old um, girl that uh, is, um, thinks that she's in trouble. Um, Even in body language. In the energy and body language. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think we all do a version of that, you know, mm -hmm. and it all stems from our story. Um, so me being an anxious type, if I'm not feeling desired, if I'm not, um, you know, uh, cuddled and given attention and, and all of these things, um, I then cut or I think um, this isn't working or I jump to conclusions when none of that is true. It's just the stuff that's going on in my head. So the work simply is to be aware of your attachment style. And then when that anxiety comes up, see if you can um, manage it and reparent it and work with it by yourself, you know, mm -hmm. or even with a therapist, but um, not put it on your partner and see if you can sit with it and, and grow through it, you know, yeah. and try to swim more toward a secure. And yeah, I'll commend you though, because yes, it's 100% ours to manage. And the more you know about your partner, you know, or friends, I've seen attachment styles get activated in my friendships for sure. The more you understand about your partner and where they're coming from, you can also show up in a way that's obviously supportive, right? So for example, John, knowing that I tend to go to that avoidant space, in the beginning of our relationship, it became very clear that I do this thing, you come to me, you say you have feedback, and I go to this place of defense, clearly I'm a bad person. That's where I go to it. And he had this beautiful way in the beginning of doing this thing where it was like, simultaneously saying, this is important, we need to talk about this, and not like actually doing this, but almost like energetically like over my back and being like, you're not a bad person. Like, this is just what we do in relationships. We have conversations. This is what it looks like, you know? And it was, um, I'd never had that before. Usually my way of being like this would then activate them and then it would turn into this huge blow up cycle, right? I never had somebody who actually would say, hey, I'm here. I got, you know, let's do this together. And so, Yes, it's ours to own, but also I think there is our ways that you can be supportive 
if you don't take it personally, because it's not about you. <laughs> it's not. It nothing to do with him, right? You know what? Um, and, and we'll get to kind of new love, and we'll, and we'll wrap this up. But um, for me, I think giving your body the experience of something new and different. So it's not in your head. It's um, giving your body giving your body the experience of a new and different type of love that then eclipses the old. And I think if you do a lot of that, you're reconditioning your body. And I think if you don't do that, we're always gonna subconsciously um, pull from the old, we're gonna snap back, we're gonna overthink, we're gonna do all the patterns that uh, destroy relationships, right? And so you can't by yourself give yourself that experience, you actually have to ask for it. And I think this is where relationships are really powerful because I could sit in a room and I could just like visualize what something feels like um, but if I ask for it and she gives me the experience that is new and different and I sit with it and we talk about it, um, then the relationship becomes the container that is going to grow both of us, right? The relationship becomes greater than its parts. Yeah. I think the beauty about relationships is if you are building something healthy and sustainable with your partner, the relationship can carry can carry and, and evolve and grow you guys. And I think that's, um, I think it's one of the wonders of just being human, you know? Uh, and it's sad to me that re when relationships are toxic, that we lose that. And I will say for those of you who aren't in romantic partnerships, this kind of stuff you can practice in any relationship. Yeah, with your mom, right, friendships. You know, I'll say, yeah. I'll, I'm going to call her out, but I, I use this example because it was so profound, and John and I talked about this, but I had an experience not that long ago, maybe a month ago. Um, Danae and I do a lot of work together, too, as friends and, and coworkers, and there was some stuff that I had been feeling that I wanted to talk her about, and be, me being me, I was like, it's no big deal, it's no big deal, until suddenly it was, like, consuming me, and I could not talk about it. That's what I do. And so I was talking to her about it, and then I was crying, and then I felt stupid that I was crying, right? I'm sure all of you know this cycle. And I will never forget Danae saying to me, you know, you're still gonna be my best friend even if you don't wanna do this thing, right? Like, even if we don't do this project together, like, you know that you're still my best friend, right? And again, it was like those moments I've had with him where I was like, I'd never experienced that before, even in a friendship, right? But those kind of healing moments, that's how we rewire. That's how these attachment styles, that's how this stuff starts to really um, work itself out, for lack of a better term, right? Like starting to find that middle ground of being like, oh, this is what that feels like. This is what secure feels like. This is what vulnerability and intimacy in a safe container feels like, right? And now that I feel it, now I know what to look for. Now I know what I need to do to get it and what I need to expect from my relationships to also get it, right? Maybe expect isn't the right word, but maybe ask for, right? Um, and so I share that example also to say, for those of you who aren't partnered romantically, it doesn't matter. You can still be practicing this stuff even in your relationships, and you should be, actually, you know? How many people are single in here? Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, well, most of you guys. Exactly. Um, this is not just work for couples. Yeah, and I was thinking, you know, as you... Um, think about who you want to invest in next I, I would recommend not thinking and uh, asking yourself how you want that space to make you feel yes and a lot of times uh, because we have types and we put weight on you know aesthetics and all that um, 
if you know how you want the the relationship and the person to make you feel um, when you're around that feeling using that as the radar you're going to attract something more that's going to be in alignment with what you want instead of thinking like oh blue eyes and you know yeah abs and you know whatever right so how do i want that next thing to make me feel how is it going to be different than the previous what kind of love experience do I want for myself? What's the feeling? And then allow that to be the radar. Allow that to be your compass. And when you're at a party or you're engaging with someone or you're swiping or however you're meeting people, oh wait, this, is, this person or this space is giving me that feeling, then that's the green light. That's a good sign. Um, to me, I trust that more than my eyes. Or your yeah. head. Or my head, because <laughs> yeah. Because um, we overthink and we analyze way too much. Well, that was in the beginning of our relationship, right? You're yeah. like, how do you know? I'm like, I don't know, actually. I just feel right now in this moment that it feels okay and it feels like what I want it to feel like. And he really struggled with that because he wanted to know. I want to know that this is the right one. And he was up here and I was like, I don't know that it's the, I don't know that you're the right one. I just know that right now in this moment, I like being with you and I like the way this is feeling. This, this may be a little, little TMI, but it's in the book, so I guess whatever. But. Um, <laughs> There's a chapter called Reiki Hands, and um, when we were being intimate, I felt something, and we weren't like having sex or anything, but we were being intimate, and I felt um, an energy from her touch that I had never before felt, and I was ca very curious about that, and that actually became kind of the, um, the dangling carrot for me, investigating, oh, there's a new feeling. I wonder what, what that's about. Um, yeah, and I called it Reiki hands, but uh, but again, that's not thought. It's just um, feeling. It's new. It's different. It's curiosity, and then that can lead to um, new experiences and then eventually new definitions. We wanted to end with uh, the new definition of love, right? We all hopefully have a, a new definition, but we also have uh, stuff to give away. Um, Can you read that part? Yeah, I want to give away a, a few books real quick. Well, let's give it to people who shared, too, for sure. This is your new love part, if you want to read that. Uh, new love. New love is about the belief, not the promise. So many want the promise. So many crave a contract. So many want a guarantee. But love is not property like it was in the 50s when life revolved around building the perfect picket fence, wearing dresses and press suits, having 2.5 kids, and walking on eggshells. Love is a space, and in that space, the belief is born. The action of love is wrapped around that belief, like arms, and that action, assuming it's healthy, protects the space where that belief continues to grow. You will create the space to believe if you focus more on the belief, the expansion, the possibilities, the greater that comes from two whole people, and the glue and growth of today, not tomorrow, and less on the deal, the agreement, and all the what-ifs. If you love with instead of at or around, if you stay engaged in the here and now, instead of, if you stay engaged in the here and now, lock eyes and hold faces. If you refuse to play chess and just be the most honest version of yourself. If you seek to be seen instead of wanted. If you feed and grow that space, the promise will be the fruit. To love is to create the space to believe. Without it, love will bear no promise. Yeah. So um, 
what is your new definition of love on social? I've been asking um, people that, and they've been giving me some videos. Um, and I kind of want to end with that, and then maybe we'll end with a song. But what, what's your new definition of love? With um, what you've gone through, where you've been, and where you are now, what is uh, your new definition of love? Danae, what is your new, sorry, I, I don't, there's no hands, you know. <laughs> Ooh, freedom. Yes. Okay. Oh, I love that. Millie, what's your new definition of love? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. New definition of love. Going by what you're feeling instead of what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. New definition of love. Um, I guess like loving myself first. So mm. the things that I love about myself, I'll put that energy out and that'll come back to me. Yeah. 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 I love that you have a tattoo that, that um, is a good reminder for love you. Yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> New definition of love. Right. Yes. Yeah, it's huge. Lee, go ahead. I love that. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's its own living, breathing thing. Yes. It's not a constant. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. yep. Thank you. All right. We're going to give away some books. And also, um, you know, I, we have this thing called the lab with their live Zoom classes. And um, if you're here, just give me your email and we'll give you all the links for free for a month. Um, Danae teaches in there, Vanessa teaches codependency, M Millie does astrology, um, there's trauma, there's lots of great uh, Zoom classes. So uh, leave your email and we'll give you that free for a month. And uh, we'll give away some books. Um, questions about anything or anything that you guys want to share? So we just have, you know, okay. yes. Um, I recently discovered that I'm anxious attached like you. Mm -hmm. Is there, I guess, how can I start to feel more safe so that I don't need to feel chosen? Mm. I have an idea, but you want to start? Yeah, go ahead. 
you know, this isn't, I mean, it, it's not an overnight thing, right? Clearly there's, there's a lot of work that goes into that, but it's, it's going to be a lot of these almost simple sounding things that we keep talking about, right? Which is like cultivating that ability to be aware of the activation when it's happening, right? It's in that cultivation of that awareness that you're gonna be able to build in that pause that you need to investigate and go deeper rather than reacting out of the activation of actually slowing down and saying, I'm activated, what's going on, okay? So that takes time because you gotta really start to be like, uh-oh, I feel that happening, what's that, you know? And, and taking care of yourself. Hey, I, I need a minute. I need to excuse myself from this situation because I have to go maybe self-soothe for a minute before I react in a way that I actually don't want to react, right? And so you start to cultivate that practice of being able to separate, self-soothe a little bit, ask yourself, what's happening? What's that dialogue that's going on? Question it, get in a dialogue with yourself, truly. Talk to yourself, it's okay, no one's judging you. <laughs> you know, where is that coming from? Whose voice is that? You know, who's telling me that if I'm not chosen in this specific way all the time, that I'm not worthy? Where is that coming from? Who told me that? Where did I get that message? It's a lot of self-inquiry, right? And it's through that you build a muscle, you truly build a muscle to be able to get to that place quicker, that place of self-soothing quicker, that ability to, to like take a breath and be like, okay, I actually need a minute. I'm gonna go take 15 minutes. I'm gonna go take a walk. I'm gonna go listen to some music. I'm gonna go journal, get to the bottom of this before I come back into this, you know, whatever the situation is. Um, but it's a lot of those kind of self-compassion practices and, and practices of self-inquiry. Have you been, um, what's the longest you've been alone, single? Single. Yeah, the longest in your life. What stretch of your life have you been um, alone, the longest, single? Yeah, and how long, how long? Um, the last two years. Yeah, so I went, um, after my divorce, I was single for about four years, and I needed to be with myself in those four years to choose myself, to get comfortable with myself. I sat in diners by myself. I worked out by my, I did a lot of things by myself, rode my motorcycle. Um, I got to know me. So when I um, found someone else to invest in, what I was bringing to the table was not dependency, um, but my own ability to give myself what I need. Yeah. Uh, and you have to decide what is a real need that I really need from someone, yeah. and, and what is something that I should be responsible for. Before, everything was on my partner. I needed this, I needed sex, I needed this, you know, and if they didn't give it to me, then it was wrong. Um, today, there's a speed bump where I think about, okay, is that really something I need, or can I give that to me? And I think it takes a while for us to build a relationship with ourselves where we can give ourselves that, you know? And what I hear in what you're saying is also through that experience and that time and those experiences that you gave yourself, what you, it sounds like what you learned was, I am here no matter what. Regardless of anybody else, regardless of getting needs, not getting needs, being chosen, not, I am always here with myself and I'm not going anywhere. It, Once you know that, that's when those attachment, regardless of which side kind of on the spectrum you fall, that's when that starts to be like, oh, okay, I see what this is. You don't get kind of sucked into it as much. When you really do, like John, it just sounded like you just so beautifully summed it up. It's like, oh no, I know that I'm here and I choose me no matter what. 
Let me give you an example. So when I was married, um, I was married to uh, an actress and she was on a movie set and they had a rap party and she was going into um, a party that was um, thrown by a dude in his hotel room and there was a few people. And what I needed was reassurance that she was going to um, be faithful, right? Which she was, I was jealous and young. And so I flipped it and said, oh, a good wife wouldn't do that. You wouldn't put yourself in a situation where you're in uh, uh, someone's room, right? That's not whatever, right? That's all, um, that was my tactic, right? If Vanessa goes out with her friends, whether she's in a, a guy's room or not, um, I don't need her to text me 20 times for that anymore, right? That's not, that's something that if I'm having feelings about it, that's my own thing that I can self-suit. I mean, I'm gonna change the locks, of course, but um, <laughs> I don't need that. I don't need that from her. I don't and, need reassurance, right? But also you might have a conversation with me. Like if you really do, I mean, there's a healthy way to say, ooh, man, I just, I don't know. I know you wouldn't, but sure, I'm comfortable with this. Sure, right? if I knew that there was uh, something that, that made me feel uncomfortable, and that's what you have to decipher then, I would say, hey, yeah. listen, here's a piece I'm struggling with. I actually am kind of jealous here. What do you think about it? So you bring yeah. it to the table and kind it's of a neutral. It's me and my jealousy. It's not you and the things that you're doing, right. which is the difference, that yeah. nuance. But I'm using that example because I remember after the fact, looking back, and I stripped that moment from her. Mm. So the rap party, the graduation, the celebration, I took that from her by saying, you're being a bad wife, get home. That was my need. And so I took that from her, do you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? And a lot of taking from someone and then they, they, uh, they're gonna divorce you on, on, over Skype. <laughs> anyway, I needed that to happen, but um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. How do you get to a point when you have been hurt by somebody to trust again? Hmm. A lot of practice. Uh, I think through communicating where you're at uh, and then uh, practicing um, choosing to trust, knowing that it could, you know, hurt you. Um, trust is also earned, you know? Expectations are really lethal for any relationship. There's, you're setting yourself up for hurt, right? Whether I- protect yourself. Right, and we get where they come from, right. and they're still lethal, right. right? Both can be true. And so here's the thing, whether I, if we're in a relationship, whether I trust you or not, you are your own person, and you're gonna do what you wanna do. Right. Whether I'm looking through your phone or not, whether I'm berating you and asking you who you've been with or not, whether I'm right. So expectations, especially when it comes to being faithful, a lot of times that's only hurting you in a relationship, right? Now I'm not saying, well, I mean, look, this is a bigger, bigger conversation. If we're talking couples that come in and there's infidelity, I mean, there's lots to unpack here. But if I'm just talking broad strokes, we have to really understand that that I'm defending myself and we get it, I know where it comes from, but that, I'm defending myself, I'm protecting myself in that scenario is actually usually only hurting you more than it's helping you, right? Because any expectation is gonna set you up for failure. Even if I expect my partner to be perfect and never do anything that makes me mad or uncomfortable, clearly I'm setting myself up for, for failure, right? 
Um, and so I, I, I'm very cautious of examining people's expectations of their partner. Um, because even if somebody says, I screwed up, I want to try over again, they're going to screw up again. Might not look the same way, but of course they're going to fuck up. They're human, just like you're going to fuck up because you're human. And I think trust yeah. is like forgiveness where it's a, a, choice. It's a choice. It starts it's with a choice, but then yeah. you got to give yourself, you got to give your body the experience that the sky didn't fall when you chose this. Oh, it's safe. Yeah. The stove is not on, not hot anymore. And the more that you kind of convince your body of that, then you trust that person or that relationship or whatever, or yourself, I think. So yeah, I think it takes time. All right, let's give some books away. Uh, the other day, uh, Vanessa and I were, um, were um, doing our, our book club, and uh, I said uh, we finished each other's sandwiches on, on accident. <laughs> what movie, and I didn't even know about that. I meant um, it's because we have a it toddler. A, it was a slip. Yeah, it was a slip. What, what movie is that from? Oh, okay. One, two, <laughs> two, three, four. three, four. All right, great. I got four books for you. I called them out. I was like, I can't believe you're such a dad now. <laughs> oh, you gave him the kid books. <laughs> yeah, well, because it's uh, here. I don't know. There's two people. Yeah. Um, these are galleys, so they're not for sale, but we um, got them from our publisher early. So uh, how do you want to give some of these away? I was going to give people who were sharing and being vulnerable earlier. Oh, do we have enough? Is that how you want to do it? You wanna? You didn't tell me if you wanted to do trivia, so I'm gonna leave that uh, to you. Well, if so you many, wanna do trivia, it's on you. So many people, so many people shared that I don't know if we have enough copies. Let's let's uh, let's let's think of something. Give give um give a question. Any trivia? I'm so something not about... good on the spot. I'm like I have no idea. God. I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, how long did it take you to get here? Ooh, that's great. Is yours far? I'm yeah, you, you came from no. far, didn't you? No, he came from the valley. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that could be far. I came from Redondo, so I can. Redondo uh, with 15 hours? From Oregon. You came no. from Oregon? No way. You did? Here's the whole oh my stack. God. <laughs> you get all of them. <laughs> God, I feel really, I feel bad. Man, thank God this is free. We don't give money backs or returns or. Um, where? Wait, you said. Uh, where? Redondo. Redondo. Redondo Which is what? Oh, oh Anaheim. Anaheim yeah. Spark. So was that two hours? Uh, hour and 15. Oh, that's legit. Who, who's, who's over an hour? Not like LA traffic took me over an hour, but like you go. legit hour. over an hour. You're, you guys are all getting books because you bought one, obviously. <laughs> These are just kind of like collector books. What else? I was going to get for a one, two. Here's a, here's a random question. How, how old is our little one? Those who follow us. Mm-hmm. Two. Two and what? Two and what? <laughs> That's very specific. I don't even know if you know that. Yeah, I don't even know that. You said two. One of you guys said two. <laughs> All right, well, thank you guys for coming. Um, Donald's going to lead us out with a little tune. And uh, what else? That's it. Yeah. Appreciate you all. Yeah, this is our first live kind of event before we go on our um, book tour the book comes out in september we're guinea pigging you all because yeah. uh this is before like the pr and all the fun things start yeah. so we wanted to get an intimate group together and do this chat first yeah. live and after the song we could hang out if you guys want us to sign um the book or anything let Picture, us know whatever. yeah we'll hang out cool cool
single you're singing this to yourself <laughs> that really works Also, um, Ferris is going to give you a free drop-in if you live close. You could uh, take any of their, their many classes here. Cool. We love this place. We're yeah. here. We love this place. <laughs> <laughs> we almost died together last week, actually. <laughs> thank you for coming. Yeah. Yeah, thank you all. Hey, if you have a passion for helping others and you want to create a more meaningful career or add to your current skill set, it's time to become a life coach with Lumia. When I became a life coach many years ago, there wasn't anything like this. So I developed this program alongside with Noel Cordo, Lumia Coach Training. And it's amazing. It's 100% live and online, meaningful, evidence-based education, real people, real community, ICF accredited to with 20 diverse instructors in a thriving alumni community. Go to theangrytherapist.com and click on Become a Coach and explore Lumia Coach Training. I'll see you in class.